Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6:30, Chad. Red Wings and Stars, 12 minutes into the first period. Dallas without Corey Perry for the next five games, suspended for elbowing Ryan Ellis on New Year's Day in the Winter Classic. Late in the second period, Capitals up 2-0 on the Hurricanes. Panic and Kuznetsov have the goals in that one. Oilers and Boston tomorrow. It's on 6.30, Chad, with the face-off show at 9.30 in the morning. The game will start at 11 a.m. Game 2. On the Oilers' five-game road trip, Zach Cassian asked about uh, how the team can put together a full game here. I think we just have to, to play shift by shift. I think even when the other team pushes, I think we can do a better job of just simplifying and um, not trying to make that extra play, maybe just getting it deep and, and trying to grind them down there. I think um, there's going to be ups and flows in the game. There's going to be times when they they have you in your zone, but uh, I think the biggest thing for us is to simplify when that happens and, and get back to to our game as fast as possible. I think, obviously, um, we've showed spurts of it where we, we can be really good, and then we've shown spurts where we can allow a lot. So um, it's just finding the right balance, and I think last night was another good lesson. All right, got a text here from Dean to 780-496-0063. He says, I'm getting a little tired of hearing Coach Tippett say we stopped competing, we didn't play a full 60, as well as experts saying that the Oilers do not have enough depth to play a full 60 minutes. Hogwash, no team can sustain 60 minutes like the Oilers' first period last night in Buffalo. Dean goes on to say, I've noticed every time we have the lead in the second period and beyond, the Oilers go into a 1-2-2 putting us back on our heels far too early and too often. It is blatantly obvious to me we keep giving up leads because we stop attacking, letting the opposition transition in the neutral zone, setting up an offensive threat, and they get control in our zone. If this has no merit, please tell me so I can stop beating my head. It's painful. Dean, I do. I want neither new, you nor your head to be in any sort of pain. Uh, I, think that you, I think that that does have merit. I think that playing a little too passive with the lead has hurt the Oilers at times this season. Now, it can be a fine line between maybe pushing for another goal and getting caught out of position, but but a lot of being a good hockey player and a good hockey team is managing risk and knowing when it's a high percentage play and when it isn't. I think against the Rangers... I mean, look, even though you gave up a goal late in the second period, 6-1 lead going to the third, the intensity is going to drop. 
but I think you get a little too passive, give the other team a little too much space, and they start making plays. And the Rangers have some players who can make plays, and that's how they got back into that game. Um, but, you know, maybe a bit of that yesterday. Again, Dean, I would give Buffalo credit. They The Oilers were good early, and Buffalo was poor early. I think that's why there was such a discrepancy in uh, in the shots on goal. Here, here's another thing from the first period, and, and Rob and I often talk about this after games or before games, and, and you kind of touched on it, Dean. You will not dominate a team for 60 minutes, even a, a good NHL team against a horrible NHL team. And we saw some horrible teams here in Edmonton. You know, the the, the weaker team still has zone time, still gets chances, still have a, has a push. But if to, to win a game, if, if you have a window, you got to do damage. And the Oilers' window last night was the entire first period. And they allowed a goal. And I, I think it was Kara that kind of circled back with the puck. The Oilers got into some trouble behind their own net. It comes in front, and Buffalo scores. So there is, to me, a game management decision where instead of making the higher percentage play, you, you have a player make a riskier play, and it winds up in the team's net. So the window was there for the Oilers to have a 2-0 lead after the first, and that probably changes the complexion of the rest of the game. Um, So I I think that's another factor. I I think, as Dean said, sometimes being a little too passive can be a factor, but I think that is as much a confidence thing as anything else. Because right now, I think the Oilers, I mean, five wins in their last 17, you had a 6-0 lead and barely won 7-5, I, I think those are some things that might rattle around in your brain a little bit till you get it back on track. And Dean also said um, that he's he's tired of hearing people say that the Oilers don't have enough depth to play a full 60 minutes. I still contend... Now, I'll, I'll put the depth this way, Dean. I, I do think the Oilers are deeper than last season. And as I talked about earlier, the the checking is better overall. The penalty killing is much better but they don't have the scoring depth either to really put a put a game away. I, I mean, they did get a depth goal last night from Shane. They, they got a, a primary scorer scoring in Nugent Hopkins. You get one more somewhere, it's probably lights out. So maybe a really good team like the Boston Bruins or St. Louis is leading that game 3-0 after the first period. The Edmonton Oilers are only up 2-1 and wound up losing 3-2 in overtime. Well thought out texting. I appreciate that. Anybody can write in 780-496-0063. Tell you what, we'll take a quick time out here and then we'll bring Howard back onto the show, senior NBA writer with the Bleacher Report. He'll very interesting. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Interview about a very interesting and influential man, the late David Stern. He recently passed away 30 years commissioner of the NBA. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. 
On Wednesday, David Stern passed away at the age of 77. He was the commissioner of the NBA from 1984 to 2014. And uh, the growth in the NBA during that time period was immense. To give us some perspective on Stern's impact on the NBA, on pro sports in North America, and what Stern was like as a person, I'm pleased to welcome to the show Howard Beck. He's a senior NBA writer with the Bleacher Report, host of the Full 48 podcast as well. Howard, welcome to Inside Sports in Edmonton. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. You? I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, and you wrote an excellent article The headline, my encounters with David Stern revealed his humanity, but always left the mark. Stern, longtime commissioner of the NBA, he's passed away of a brain hemorrhage. And uh, would it it be safe to call him a monumental figure in the world of sports in North America? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a word big enough, important enough to express just how, how big and important David Stern was. I, I keep using the word Titan every time I'm talking to people about him. He was just, he was a Titan. Like that, that's, to me, that kind of, uh, you know, gives the, 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 the right, um, the right level for me, you know, whatever. I don't know if there's anything higher than Titan, but uh, it's not, you know, it's obviously in the world of sports, but it's, it's sports because sports is such a, uh, has such an outsized role in our lives and in, in our society, um, you know, David Stern's influence, I think, goes well beyond that. I mean, you saw tributes to him in the last couple of days, including from uh, President Obama. Uh, you saw people who were, who were, you know, even political writers, people who write about world affairs, who were talking about David Stern's influence in, in world affairs because of his uh, work uh, ex- you know, exporting the game of basketball around the world and just kind of an exercise or an, an example of an exercise of American soft power where it's exporting, you know, our, our values and culture in other ways through sport. And, um, you know, Stern did so much for the game of basketball, I think for society at large, for the culture, uh, that it, it's it's just you can list everything he did, and it still doesn't. It's just not enough. I, I, again, I don't know anything, any other way to describe him other than yes, he was he was a titan, and and I mean that even about obviously his personality, which is a lot of what I focused on in, in the piece you referenced. It's you know he he's this larger than life figure, not just what he accomplished, but the way he carried himself. Um, the, the moments that he was part of over you know over three decades with the NBA, uh, there's, he's just irreplaceable. And Adam Silver's done a, a phenomenal job as commissioner in the last five six years since succeeding David Stern. But Stern is just one of those one in a million kind of people, and uh, yeah, his 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 presence is immediately missed. I mean, and the article is great. And you mentioned how you got to know him a little bit, and he wasn't afraid to to push back if he didn't like something you asked or something you wrote. But in terms of him being a commissioner and doing it for that long, I'm going to use a term that we often use when we talk about players and coaches. But I'll use it with David Stern as it might have related to owners and players. What was it about his personality that he could get that buy-in? Because you're dealing with you know billionaire millionaire owners got to be millionaire players they all have their own agendas they all want what what they want what was it about david stern that he got that buy-in from people who might have so many of their own agendas force of personality and an extreme intelligence um david was one of those guys who you'll often hear the phrase smartest guy in the room he was i don't know that it's hard to imagine the too many rooms he could have been in where he wasn't and 
That's part of it. You, I think people had, whether it was owners, players, coaches, GMs, corporate partners, TV execs, they had faith in what David was telling them because he's an incredibly smart person and who was always coming thoroughly prepared. And his instincts often proved correct, too. I mean, the, the way in which the, the, he expanded the game in, into new markets, both domestically and abroad, from 23 franchises to 30, and then just the, the uh, you know footholds that he, he had in, around the world um, on his watch, those things all paid off. And so I think you know the, the, the longer he was at it and the more people saw that his instincts as a businessman, uh, as a marketer, uh, as as a, a just a passionate advocate for this sport, that builds up a certain amount of credibility. Now you're still going to end up having these battles, right? Because you, you're in negotiations. You're trying to wring more money out of your corporate partners. You're trying to get the players to uh, you know agree to say an age limit back in 2005 or shorter contracts multiple times. Um, but while trying to convince them that hey, but there's a there's a greater payoff here down the road. There's you know where we were going to all benefit if we can come to an agreement on this issue or that one. Um, he he just he had the, the the intelligence and the preparation and also the force of personality. And and, and again, my, my story I wrote is a lot about his force of personality. He's hard to. Um, you don't win a debate with David Stern very often. You might win the negotiation occasionally, but winning the debate, he's just a powerful personality. Um, and and again, what I learned over the years of covering the league and covering David was that you did have to come prepared because if you were, if your premise was off, if your facts were not solid, if you didn't have something you could cite, if you stumbled along the way, he was going to eat you alive, and that. That, you know, not everybody is, is built to deal with that. And I, it's an intimidating uh, kind of, uh, you know, presence that he has. But you learn to push back and you learn to come prepared. And you learn that, that if you stand up to some of that, uh, you know, I was rhetorical bullying a little bit, right? He's going to see, he's going to test you. He's going to push you around a little bit. And then you say, no, 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 David, come, hold on a second. This this happened. These things happened, or this this person did tell me this, and I know it for a fact. And then he'll kind of say, "Okay, you know, he'll he'll back off a little bit." And even if you disagree, he respected you know that strength in return. But you did have to kind of counterpunch a little bit to earn that respect. Howard Beck joining us at Inside Sports, senior NBA writer with the Bleacher Report, also the host of the Full 48 podcast, giving us some memories of uh, David Stern, former NBA commissioner who passed away a couple of days ago. So when he went at you or went at another writer or reporter, was it sarcasm? Was it name-calling? Was it, I, I know more than you, I have more facts than you? I'm, I'm just curious because you you know, you know just referenced that and, and you wrote about some kind of tete-a-tetes in your article as well. What tactic did he take when he wanted to get at somebody? Not name-calling. I think that'd be beneath David. Um, although, uh, you know, he was, he was great with a zinger occasionally, too, if he was talking about other people. I mean, notably, you know, back when uh, the Knicks were facing a sexual harassment lawsuit that they failed to settle ahead of time and, and as a result you know, got pretty well pummeled and had it drag out. Stern was on TV saying uh, it shows that the Knicks are not a model of intelligent management. And, and that was David's, you know, very, you know, kind of, you know, not exactly subtle, but his, with, without name calling, he had a way of kind of cutting, cutting down anybody who he thought had uh, 
stepped out or, or you know, made a major mistake. And he, he'd say there are things that he said about Mark Cuban over the years, about Phil Jackson. Um, you know, like Dave, David Stern, uh, low-key one of the all-time great trash talkers in a league that uh, is big on trash talk. But when it came to us in the media, it wasn't name-calling. It was more, you know, some pretty heavy sarcasm at times and uh, a little bit of belittling. It was a lot of – he did a lot with tone. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe. But you, you almost – like, it, you have to hear it. If I, even if I had had the quotes written down and you saw them in front of you, it wouldn't carry the same bite as it did with the way David would deliver um, these responses. But sometimes it was just you have your facts wrong, and he would tell you outright very bluntly – you know that's incorrect. You don't have the right facts. That or you know that didn't happen. Or you know no, it was actually you know uh, you know X Y Z instead of you know, like he would correct you in real time, and you know I'll I'll never forget. And sometimes it was just simply a matter of he didn't like to be pigeonholed or called out himself. So I referenced this in the story that in the 2011 lockout, it's it's late in the going. We're in, in deep into November, mid November. And, and the NBA has just announced that this is their last best offer, and it's X percentage for the players. And if they don't take it within whatever it was, 72 hours, we're going to replace that with what was essentially an even worse offer where they were going to get an even less percentage, which didn't make any sense to me because it was like, wait, wait the lever for them agreeing to this bad deal that they already have said they don't want to take is for you to give them an even worse deal. So we're in a press conference at like one in the morning or whatever at one of these midtown hotels in Manhattan. And I, I raised my hand and it's, this is on live. This is on NBA TV. And I said, you know, David, I'm, I'm not sure I understand here. You're, you know, it's already clear that the union is not going to accept this first offer that you're, that you're talking about or this, this last best offer. So they're obviously not going to take the other one. So th- that doesn't really, get you anywhere right so doesn't that doesn't that just mean that you know because he's basically saying it's this or the season's gone and so i basically just spelled out logically why i thought this didn't make any sense and he says well howard i don't have your collective bargaining expertise or your crystal ball but and then he went on to the rest of his answer (laughs) but there's there's the dripping sarcasm and the you know clearly he's, he's also conveying that he of course does have the expertise which you know Fairly, he does. I haven't collectively bargained uh, anything. So, all right, fair point, but um, I was right. Howard, when I think back to what I knew about David Stern as a kid when I was growing up in the 80s, and I was often just reading about him in Sports Illustrated, I knew the NBA had a salary cap, and uh, I knew that they went with this thing called the draft lottery. And a couple of decades later, the National Hockey League would would bring those things in as well. For the average fan, would those be the two initiatives that that Stern brought in that would have the biggest impact, the biggest everyday effect? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. I mean, so much of what we know or know of the modern NBA, David Stern put the wheels in motion for or instituted. And a lot of those things were collectively bargained, of course, too. So it's always important to say, like, David Stern didn't just create a salary cap out of thin air. He had a bunch of, of team owners back then who felt like they needed to level the playing field because they, they could they were going to spend their way in, into bankruptcy trying to keep up with a couple of markets. And so in the you know, mid-'80s, early in his tenure, they adopt the salary cap. And that, you know, again, the owners were all part of that. The, the players' union was part of that to collectively bargain it. And whether it's the age limit, whether it's drug testing, whether it's uh, you know the, the luxury tax that came after the cap by, by a, a good measure, uh, max salaries – 
Yeah, the lottery system and, and, and various incarnations of the lottery system over time, like all these things, I don't know that, in, that any one of these was, you know, the uh, light bulb specifically in David Stern's head or how many of those were, you know, his lieutenants and others in that process, but they're all part of his legacy and his leadership that brought those to the table and got them instituted. And so the entire structure of the NBA, which other leagues have mimicked, at least pieces of, is, is is very much due to his influence and his ability to get those things to go from idea into reality. Howard, really appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here on 630 Chet in Edmonton. Excellent interview, and again, your articles on Bleacher Report, my encounters with David Stern revealed his humanity, but always left the mark. Definitely worth a read. Hope we can do this again, Howard. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. There from Howard Beck, quite a figure, David Stern, former commissioner of the NBA. Hi, this is Jajar Kara from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Oil Kings, Moose Jaw, no score late in the first period of Rogers' place. Just two games in the NHL tonight. Early in the third, Washington leads Carolina 2-1. And after the first period, it's 1-1 between the Red Wings and the Stars. Dallas without Corey Perry, five-game suspension for the elbow on Ryan Ellis in the Winter Classic. Former Stars coach Jim Montgomery, he was fired on December 10th. He says he has entered alcohol rehab. This The uh, rehab, the Stars didn't say why they fired him. They just called it unprofessional conduct. Victor Olofsson from the Sabres, injured last night against the Oilers. Lower body injury, he's out five to six weeks. Ilya Kovalchuk. 36 years of age, two-way two deal with the Montreal Canadiens. Jake Neighbors from the Oil Kings, he'll play in the CHL-NHL top prospects game in Hamilton on the 16th. The Oilers practice today in Boston. Tomorrow's game at 11 in the morning. Our coverage will start with the face-off show at 9.30. Chris Russell not on the ice today. Same forward lines up front. Look like uh, Looks like Misko Koskinen will be the goaltender. Uh, Rod texting 780-496-0063. He says, hey, Reed, again, goaltending is the issue for the Oilers. Smith has passed his prime. He's proven to be a number two on the verge of retirement, even though Koskinen has had good games. Not sure he can pull through the rest of the season. You were right in your prediction in September that the Oilers will simply be hanging around. Well, they're uh, in the final playoff spot in the West right now. With 47 points, uh, they have 47 points in 43 games. Last year, after 43 games, they had 43 points. They are 19th in goals for per game. They're 20th in goals against per game. They're tied for 18th when it comes to points percentage, which can be a better gauge than points because teams have played different number of games uh, all over the map. Oilers with an identical record to Calgary, 21-17-5. and The Oilers are placed higher because they are better when it comes to regulation and overtime wins. But the Oilers will need to need to improve to, to sneak in, and certainly the goals against are going to have to come down for sure. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome this next gentleman to the show. 
His name is Roy Svenningson. He is a runner, and he did something very, very unique recently. Roy, welcome to Inside Sports. You're on with Reed. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks, Reed. Now, Roy, you're 84 years of age. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'll be 85 in uh, in February. Okay. The 4th of February, yes. Now, how long have you been a distance runner? Uh, well, I uh, ran, I'll repeat myself here for a little bit, but I, I ran the first marathon in uh, uh, Calgary in 1964. Okay, so you've been running for a long time. Do you remember what got you into it back in the early 60s, mid-60s? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure, just that I met a few people that were doing some running then, and uh, I sort of began to follow them, and uh, one or two of them were going into the Calgary Marathon, and I thought, well, I may as well go along. And uh, so I did. It was, uh, you know, a pretty small group. I think it was about 15 runners in that, that marathon. And uh, as I said, only uh, before that, um, I think only 10 of us finished. So you you yeah. dove right in. You didn't work your way up 5K, 10K, half marathon. You just went straight for a full eh? <laughs> It seems that way. Actually, I ran a little bit in high school, but it was only, you know, 400 meters, maybe 800. Uh, but, uh, yes, I had actually run with these other with the guys for maybe a year or a year and a half before I went to Calgary with them. Okay. Well, you did some, something incredibly unique on December 13th. You completed the Antarctic Ice Marathon. Um, I, I'm not sure where to begin asking questions. <laughs> what, what, like, was this, in, you, this is entirely outside, and I'm assuming very cold temperatures, or tell us about the conditions. Well, you know, the conditions weren't really that bad. Climate, uh, the temperature was probably, I think, uh, I think it ended up being around 50, minus 15 at the end of the run. But um, there was uh, always a strong wind. Of course, sometimes it would be on your back, but it always seemed a lot shorter, uh, that part of it. Um, the, um, so it was uh, like I intended to do it in about seven eight hours because I knew it was harder than the regular marathon that I would have run in the past uh, but as it turned out uh, it didn't quite uh, I didn't quite make that that uh, time but you finished though that's the main thing <laughs> well I had I had this thing in mind uh, you know you, you either win or you lose but you don't quit <laughs> and, absolutely uh, yeah so uh, Actually, what happened was um, I did get pretty sick about uh, halfway through, and the doctor there said, uh, have some soup, which I, I know you've probably heard this already. And um, he, um, I sat down and had some soup, but um, the, I ran about two miles or so, and uh, the soup and my body, uh, my stomach, uh, uh, departed friendship. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you pushed through. How many people were in the race? There was 55. There, there was, um, that's all that, you know, they could get on that plane. Uh, there's uh, about a, maybe a 60-person capacity on the plane that goes into the Antarctic. So uh, they limited, I thought, to 52 or 53, but there was actually 55 in that race. 
And was it all ages? Uh, yes, there, there was no nobody saying, okay, you've got to hit the 60 age limit or the 70 or whatever. It was just open, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, the old guy, the oldest guy, came in nearly last. Well, you, again, you finished. We're not too worried about your time, yeah. Roy. I, I, well, I'm that's sure. exactly what what the director said to me, and he was the finest guy. He walked and ran with me for the last 5K, I think, and uh, it just kept encouraging me to get it finished, and and I was pretty pleased that he he was that uh, just that kind to me. Did you ever have any... Any second thoughts during the race? Did you ever have those what-have-I-got-myself-into moments? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, uh, I stood and cursed myself a couple of times and said, you know, that uh, you're not going to quit. And uh, I just kept saying it to myself and uh, uh, because uh, I was getting, uh, well, didn't have much power left. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> what was the travel like getting down there, Roy? Like, well, was that an yeah, all-day that, process? Yeah, well, it was. It, it actually took 31 hours to get to uh, uh, Ponte, uh, Ponte. I'm talking about getting from here to uh, Ponte Arenas for, you know, the actual uh, airport flying into the Antarctic uh, is. So... Uh, that took 20, uh, 31 hours, actually, you know, with stops and so on via Peru, uh, Lima, and uh, into, uh, into, uh, 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 into Chile. And then, well, first, uh, the uh, I'm just trying to think of the city in, in Santiago right. in, in Chile, and then on to uh, uh, Punta Arenas. And oh. we stayed there for a couple of days. And then by that, uh, on the 12th, we flew into um, into uh, the Antarctic. And on the 13th, we ran. And on the 14th, we got out of there. <laughs> so it was rather short time on the Antarctic. But uh, uh, I'll just add to it that last year, they were there for seven days, seven additional days, because the weather didn't allow the plane to fly back. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. you, got, you got lucky then. Roy yeah, Spenningson joining us on Inside Sports. 84 years of age, on December 13th, became the oldest person to run a marathon in Antarctica. I'm curious, what was the course like? I mean, was it a loop so they could always kind of keep an eye on the runners? Was it yeah. out and back? What was yeah. it? Well, out of the 42, we did four loops. Okay. So. Went around four times. And for every 10K, there was a, uh, a station where you could, you know, have a drink or something or whatever. And uh, that was, I stopped, at, I think, the 20th to have uh, my soup. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, of course, I tried having something else as well along further on. But uh, to no avail. It didn't help me one bit. <laughs> it probably made it worse. And, and I assume, maybe the stupid question of the night, but I just want to get yeah. a sense. No, like you're, no, yeah. I, I assume you're running on ice and snow the entire time. Like, does it at least yeah, get it's down pretty much. A bit? Yeah. yeah, it is. But I, you know, I had very, very uh, tiny cleats on the bottom of my shoes, and I don't think anyone else did that. It, it was um, largely um, what happened was as the day went on, the drifts got bigger. You know, and. And it made it even more difficult, but but for the most part, it was pretty um, uh, easy, you know, not not too uh, difficult. Um, and it was, um, it, but it was snow, but not too much ice. Okay. Yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about the Seven Continents Club. Where are you at? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, I'm, uh, I just have to run the two of them. That's Australia and, uh, and uh, South America. And I got to thinking that I said I was going to take two years, but I hope to you know, take advantage of some of the conditioning I've done for this race and, and just don't let it drag out too long. And, uh, and I'll probably either go to South America, to Australia rather. I don't want to go there now. It's uh, burning too much. And, uh, of course, it's, uh, yeah. it's summer there as well. Um, but um, I'll have to go to, say, Melbourne or, or, one, or Sydney or something, or New Zealand, and then to uh, a place in uh, South America. So I think it would be relatively easy compared to what I've just done. So where, where, so you've obviously done North America, Antarctica. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where, where did you run in Europe and Asia and Africa? Uh, well, uh, in, in uh, Europe I ran in, uh, well, let's see, Munich. Uh, um, let's see, actually, <laughs> I think I listed them here somewhere. Oh, you Munich, did a few in Europe. Oh, just a moment. No, no, I, I've got it anyhow. Well, uh, let's say, I, I just for Europe, I'll say Munich, but uh, I ran in Venice, I ran in, uh, uh, oh, let's see, uh, Helsinki, and uh, uh, there was one other place as well. And in Nigeria, of course, I ran in Lagos, and in a, I was in Iran for about four years before the, three years before the revolution, and I ran two marathons there in, in, uh, in uh, the capital. Right. And, and... Uh, and uh, they called it the Persian Marathon, as I've told some other folks. And so I heard just a, oh, maybe a month ago that they were having the first marathon in, in Iran, but they called it the Iranian Marathon and not the Persian Marathon. So I ran the Persian Marathon, and uh, of course it was in Iran, so that would be Asia. And then Munich for Europe and uh, Las Vegas and uh, for North America, and of course, I've run many in Canada and Seaside, and uh, a couple others in the in the U.S. Royce Fenningson joining us on Inside Sports. 84 years of age, December 13th, uh, ran a marathon in Antarctica. As he was just telling you, he's run marathons in five of seven continents. He still has to hit South America and Australia, which he plans on doing soon. I'm curious, I mean, obviously if you're a runner, you, you got to have at least a few people supporting you. Um, but when it came to the Antarctica race, w- was the family all on board? Did you get any eye rolls or, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this one? What was their reaction like? I got a few eye rolls, you're right. <laughs> Some people said, hey, Roy, you're, you, have you lost it? Are you going crazy? <laughs> and, uh, but my wife was pretty supportive, I'll say that. She, she came with me to uh, Punta Arenas and um, stayed, of course, in Punta Arenas because she couldn't get on the plane to go to, to the Antarctic. Um, and uh, she, uh, there was a, a gap in, her, in the reporting to, to Punta Arenas about the marathon for about five hours, uh, and it just about drove her nuts. You know, she thought something had happened to me, and uh, well, she was pretty happy to hear that I finally got through it. Now, when you're running in Edmonton, where can uh, where can people find you? Are you a River uh, Valley guy? Where do you go? Yeah, I, I I run a lot. I have run a lot along, as I've told others, uh, between uh, the uh, 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 the fort or between uh, uh, 
or just by the uh, university. Uh, I'm trying to think of the park there. And uh, on along the, the river uh, road, you know, the river uh, yep. path, yep. right up to the ski hill. Okay. And and back, and that's uh, that's a half marathon. But I also had a five kilometer route, which I I went around seven or eight times. Sometimes a little longer, but I lose count <laughs> at about seven. Um, so I did that, you know, many times, and and uh, I had myself paced where I could have got. You know, if I could have run uh, a marathon, in, in, it would have been about six hours or so, but it um, uh, didn't, didn't pan out that way. Roy, this is uh, incredible. People can text 780-496-0063. JJ has written in. He says, absolutely remarkable. Trucker Dave says, keep running, Roy. Running around the world, what a life to live. So people are definitely impressed. Uh, well, what, how, what's your reaction? I mean, you're running because you love it and, and you want to keep doing it. Uh, when, when people compliment you and call you remarkable or an inspiration, how does well, that make you feel? Well, once in a while, uh, uh, people will be sitting on a bench or something, you know, and they'll say, good going, you know, or something like that. That should be me, they say, they say you know, or something like that. I should do that. Or, But, of course, um, uh, as I said, the, uh, the director of the marathon, he uh, complimented me much more than what I expected or deserved, I think. But uh, he was very kind in, in telling the other runners that I I was setting an example for for all ages, you know. And, uh, and uh, well, that's about it. Well, Roy, this, this is a, a great story. Congratulations on finishing the Antarctic Ice Marathon. I know there's more to come. I, I hope we can. You're going to have to get in touch when you when you get the sixth continent and then the seventh continent, so we can keep Absolutely, telling your story. Absolutely, really. I'll do that. I'll make sure I, I contact you. I listen to your program. Your your uh, I say program. Your your uh, uh, time on on channel. You know, just about every every day. So uh, I'm a great follower of hockey. I was just watching the game before you called between. Uh, the um, the Washington, Washington Carolina. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, Roy, I, I, it's an honor to talk to you, and, and thank you so much. And I, and I really do mean that. I hope that we uh, we keep in touch. I hope the well, Oilers get you get you a win tomorrow. And uh, happy New Year! All the best in your run. Yeah, thank you for having me, Reed. I appreciate it. That is Roy Svenningson checking in. That was uh, an awesome interview. What a story he is. Uh, 84 years of age, finishes the Antarctic Ice Marathon. As he was telling you, he's uh, he's run marathons all over the world since 1964, and uh, he is far from finished. He still has to, to get to the Seven Continents Club to join that club. He's uh, got to run in Australia, and he's got to run in South America. So, And I, I do hope we have him on when he gets to those. That is, that is classic stuff. You can text or call 780-496-0063. My experience hosting the show, those types of interviews and those types of people uh, generally get some reaction from, from those, of you, those of you listening. That is, that is some impressive stuff for sure. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. All right, that was Roy Svenningson. That is uh, that is incredible. That is incredible. 84 years of age, 
ran the Antarctic Ice Marathon. What did he say? Minus 15 Celsius and windy. It was tough. He thought he was maybe uh, regretting the decision through the race. As he told you, had some food he couldn't keep down. Had a soup break, wasn't able to keep that down. But he made it to the finish line, which for... 99.99999% of runners is is the main thing. I, I can't remember who used the line, but uh, I run not to Roy's degree. I try to run regularly just for a little bit of fitness. I usually do, uh, you know, two or three races a year. I've done the Edmonton Half Marathon several times now. Uh, and I always say I'm a completer, not a competitor. And when you complete one in Antarctica, <laughs> you've, you've, you've definitely done something worthwhile. But, uh, I just love talking to Roy, and, uh, and I wish him all the best. And where else did he say? I was making notes here. He has run in, uh, he ran in Iran, ran in Nigeria, Munich, Venice, Helsinki, obviously several in Canada. That, that, is, that is a cool guy. That is a cool guy. For sure. 780-496-0063 if you would like to reach out. Yakishev writes in, he says, uh, Reed, I promise this is my last text of the night. It makes perfect sense to run a marathon in the Antarctic. If you ran it in the Arctic, you would be eaten by a polar bear. Yakishev, fair comment. <laughs> Thank you for checking in with that. The, the, the penguins are in Antarctica, right? Could they attack you while you're running? You'd probably outrun them. Because they can't fly, can they? No, I don't think so. Okay, 4-2 uh, now. Washington leading Carolina. Eight minutes left in the third period. Only one other game in the NHL. It's halfway through the middle frame. Dallas up 2-1 on the Red Wings. Western Hockey League tonight. They're just about to start the second period at Rogers Place. The Oil Kings and the Moose Jaw Warriors are scoreless. Oilers and Bruins tomorrow on 6.30, Chad. The face-off show will be at 9.30 in the morning. The game will start at 11. Miko Koskinen didn't play last night. He was the backup to Mike Smith. Koskinen a bit under the weather. Here's an update from head coach Dave Tippett. He's all right. He's just been he's been battling a little bit something here for a while, and uh, uh, we decided to give him a little you know a couple days here. So uh, he's uh, he's fine. I mean he could he could play here, but we'll just give him a couple days to get his uh, get his energy back. All right, and some big-name players in tomorrow's game. McDavid, Dreisaitl, Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, some of the best in the NHL. Here's Zach Cassian. We're about winning a hockey game. We have some offensive threats. They have some offensive threats. If you look around the league, every team has that. Um, there's so much talent in this league that um, on any given night, if you're not ready to work against the talent, um, they're going to make you pay. So um, um, to answer your question, I don't really look too much into that. You know when they're on the ice, you're aware of it, but that's like any team. Last night there was Eichel, night before it was Panarin. So <laughs> pick your poison, there's good players everywhere. And Cassian had this to say about Kyler Yamamoto adding a little balance to the top six. Yeah, well, last game, they, it was really good for us. I think um, that's no secret. Yammer came up and he's, he's done a great job. And uh, if you look at the good teams, it's, they're not one-line teams. They're not two-line teams or four-line teams. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You might get away from a couple games or a month or two with with a couple lines, but you look at those teams that are playing late in uh, late in April, March, or sorry, uh, into the playoffs, um, they're deep, and they have different guys step up at different times, and we're going to need that going forward for and, if we're going to get into the playoffs. And Yamamoto has been named to the American Hockey League All-Star Game. It's a huge honor. Um, you know, anytime you can get named to um, you know any All-Star Game, um, it's a huge honor um, for yourself. Um, but you know, obviously, my goal is to stay in the NHL. Um, 
but um, yeah, again, it's a, it's a huge honor, and I'm um, you know, really excited for it uh, if I do get to play in it. All right, and obviously if he's in the Oilers roster, he will not play in it, and the way he's been going, I'm sure he uh, will stay on the Oilers roster. Carolina just scored, so now Washington up 4-3 on the Hurricanes, 6:55 to go in the third period in that game. Quiet night in the NHL. We'll see uh, what happens tomorrow, if the Oilers can get... Uh, Another critical two points. And what happens with the other Western and Pacific teams as they jockey for playoff position? All right. Angie, thanks for filling in tonight. I know you had to pinch hit here on short notice. Thanks a lot for coming in. Are, are you uh, with me tomorrow for the game? I am. You are here for the game. I Exciting. Going to be good. 9.30 face-off show. The puck will drop at 11. Tonight on Inside Sports, you heard from Bob Beers, Kurt Hill, Howard Beck, Roy Svenningson. You can always sign up for the Inside Sports podcast wherever you get your podcast or go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'll talk to you at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Have a great weekend. 630Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Ched.